Good morning. Say good morning. Uh, it's going to be a great day. And how is my favorite youth group in the world? These uh, guys just had their fall retreat. I heard it was wonderful. So proud of what God's doing in our youth group. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. This is a day we are plunging into the Word of God. We'd like to give you one as a free gift this morning. And let me just give a pastoral note as we begin this morning from an analogy. As a child, when I was learning to swim, it was in a rather large pool. And I started on the, the shelf where I could just sit and dangle my feet into the water. Then it was fun to, to wade in the shallow end and to, to frolic around with my friends and my family. But I remember there was a day when I realized I had to brave the deep end. And this particular pool had a 12-foot deep, deep end. And so as a little tyke, I remember grabbing onto the side and staring down at the drain at the bottom, knowing if I was going to master swimming, I had to go down and touch that. And so I psyched myself out, I took a deep breath, and I threw myself down at that drain, and I'm pulling with my little arms and kicking with my little legs and feeling the burn in my lungs and my ears start feeling the pressure on them, getting totally uncomfortable, but I knew I had to press on to reach that goal. And after several tries of going down and coming back up, going down and coming back up, I finally made it. I remember shooting to the top, throwing my arms out, victory! This is a deep end morning at church. Sometimes we get to sit and just dangle our toes in the cool water. Sometimes we just float in the lazy river of grace. And then sometimes we have to take a deep breath and plunge deep down, even when our lungs start burning and we start feeling the pressure because we want to press on into biblical maturity. And so this day, I need you to strap on your seatbelts and I need you to clothe yourself in the love of God because we're going to tackle a really challenging subject. Several months ago, Ryan Knapp, who's on our college staff, went with me. Oh, a little shout out to Ryan. Uh, he, went, he went with me. That's the challenging topic we're dealing with today. And uh, just kidding. We, we flew into another state where we were speaking at a conference where a handful of churches were gathered together. And what usually happens is when I land at the airport, I'll get a communication from the head pastor who's organizing this kind of event. And they'll come and pick me up. And we'll dialogue just about what's going on in the churches and what they're believing for in this kind of event. But when I land, I get a text from an unknown number saying that they'll pick me up. And, and we walk to the side of the road. And a young man comes out with his friend. And it comes to find out it's the pastor's son. It's his young adult son. And so we get in, and he's cordial. And, but he looks at me and says something interesting. He goes, I don't know why my dad sent me to come get you. And he said, I have brothers and sisters. I don't know why he chose me. And, and I said, jokingly, I said, well, I know exactly why. And it's for you to answer this question, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And I'm thinking, this is kind of funny, right? I mean, that's the age-old Christian question that we've been using for years to bring up a deep, you know, conversation on eternal life. But this is a pastor's kid. And he looks at me and says, I don't believe in hell. So I was a little shocked. And I go, well, then that's exactly why your father sent you. 
because we need to talk about this. I said, so, so permit me to ask you a question. What do you base your belief that there is no hell upon? And he said, I just don't feel like a loving God could let people go to hell. I said, okay, I want to come back and address the love of God in a moment. But, But let me ask you how you come to arrive at your beliefs. Because that's really dangerous to base your beliefs on feeling. I mean, that could lead to really destructive paths, couldn't it? Because right now, I could feel like killing you. His eyes kind of went, <laughs> I don't. But if we base our beliefs on our feelings, we can destroy people's lives. You know, here's, here's the problem. In America today, the last survey that the Barna Associates Group did, they found that only 32% of Americans believe in an actual place called hell that's torment and suffering. This is a pretty common thought in the body of Christ. You know, I said, the question comes to us as Christians, as God followers, are we going to ground our beliefs on how we feel or on what this book says? Because I believe that this book is absolute truth. That's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. If you've missed, I highly encourage you to get back on the podcast, listen to the messages. The first week, we, we, we talked about the Bible being the absolute truth of God. It is our authority. It is our plumb line. We don't stand above and judge it. We let it stand above us and judge us. Last week, I had a great time talking about heaven and the glory that's before us when we enter into that eternal city. But if the Bible's true, then it very clearly unpacks a place called hell. And we cannot ignore it. Well, this young man said to me, well, Jesus doesn't talk about hell. I said, oh, actually, he does. I I threw out a couple of scriptures for him. We'll just put those up on the screen. Matthew 10, 28 to begin with. Do not be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter heaven with only one hand than go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Matthew 25, 41, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And here's what I need to say. I don't enjoy, as a preacher, preaching on the topic of hell. In fact, you'll find it very uncommon that a church service sermon will be devoted to hell. It's not something we like to talk about. I kind of liken it to studying the Holocaust. I, I don't know if, if you were like me in high school. One day the teacher started talking about World War II and the Holocaust, and I am just disgusted by the films of, of the concentration 
camps that the Nazi and Nazis inflicted those horrible atrocities on the Jews and anyone else that opposed them. And I remember just being nauseated watching these, these pictures and images and, and actually just feeling totally despondent and in despair. And I, I actually asked, so why do we have to look at this? Why do we have to study it? And the answer came back to me, so that we never repeat this. And that's why we study hell. And that's why it's important for us to understand the doctrine of hell so that you never have to face that horrific fate. And so that you'll have a burden in your heart to lead your loved ones and everyone, in fact, that you encounter away from such a horrible place. And that's why Jesus, in his love, talked about hell. I want to look for a moment at Luke chapter 16. If you turn with me there, that's where we're going to camp out for a few minutes, into one of Jesus' most memorable parables. And in case you're wondering what these people walking around with cameras are doing, uh, we're actually in, in a, a documentary called Movement, and they've been tracking what's going on in our churches and in the movement around the world. So I've actually been with these guys in several different places, and actually when we were doing our big event in Mongolia, they were there and they were interviewing us last night, so don't worry about it, they're authorized. <laughs> Verse 19 of chapter 16, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now, this is interesting. This is the only parable where Jesus actually names someone by first name in his story. I think it's because he wants us to really grasp how real this is. He was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22, now the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now a Jewish audience would know that that was talking explicitly about heaven because Abraham is the father of faith. The rich man also died and was buried, verse 23, in Hades or in hell where he was in torment. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses. And the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. That's a heavy story. Jesus is setting forth a warning. And let's let's just unpack some thoughts from that for a minute. First of all, Jesus is directly contrasting 
heaven where Lazarus goes by Abraham's side, the father of faith, with hell, a place of torment. It's a real place. If we believe in heaven, then we must believe in hell. It's in the same book. It's even talked about more. Jesus spent more time talking about hell than heaven. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said one of his greatest fears in the 20th century church would be that heaven would be preached without hell. It is a real place. And what do we learn about it? He says that he's in agony in fire. Over and over and over again, we see an unquenchable fire. Some people say, well, that, you know, that's just tossed out once. No, every time hell is described, it's described the same way. A place of fire, a place of burning, a place of agony. He says he is in torment. Well, maybe hell then is just a place that people go to kind of get a spanking, reform their ways, and then they end in heaven. But what does scripture say? Abraham goes, there's a chasm that's been set that no one can cross even if they want to. would like to believe that hell would someday end and, or that perhaps some, some Christians talk about annihilation that you go and then boom, you burn to death. But that's simply not what scripture states. So what's the hope at the end of the story? The hope is this. The rich man goes, then please send someone to my brother's. I don't want them to have the same fate. And that is what God is speaking to us today as believers. Then please go. Someone needs to go. If we know how bad this is, then someone needs to go and share. So often we hold back from that. We're we're afraid that it might offend people. My question today is, what is truly loving My father used to say something that totally bugged me. We spent a lot of time hiking out in the woods, a lot of time hunting. And, I, and I'm an outdoors guy, and I get lost in the, the beauty of the big sky and the huge oak trees and looking at the wildlife. And so often when my dad and I would part ways out in the woods, he'd go, Robert, watch for snakes. Robert, remember, watch for snakes. And I kind of thought, as many children do, I'm like, my dad is such a worry wart, you know? He's just this worried walrus that's always (laughs) killing my joy by saying, watch for snakes, watch for snakes, watch for snakes. Until one day, I was walking, and because he had ingrained it in my head, I was looking down, and I'm about to take a step, and then, big rattlesnake right in front of me. If I wouldn't have been looking down, I would have stepped on it. I learned a lesson that day. Sometimes it's worth annoying people (laughs) to save their lives. Selah. Think about this. Ajith Fernando, the the theologian hailing from Sri Lanka in his book, Crucial Questions About Hell, says this. If one generation neglects the doctrine of hell, the next generation will reject the doctrine of hell. Three dangers I find 
in rejecting the doctrine of hell and rejecting a belief in hell. If today you're sitting here going, I don't know, Robert, I, 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 just, I don't want to choose to think about that. Let me just tell you the danger of that course in life. Number one, you reject the belief in hell, you deny the justice of God. When you reject a belief in hell, you deny our God of his justice. I hope that none of you have experienced this. I, 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 I really pray that my children, your children, never have to go through what we endured when we were seventh graders. We were let out of class one day where we assembled together on the football field where we learned the news of one of our classmates, this sweet, vivacious, bubbly little girl that was just right in the center of everything in our school named Kelly that she had been brutally stabbed and murdered by a young man for no reason in our community. And when we were just walking around despondent and angry, questioning, and even you're looking at your other friends that are young ladies and, and, and feeling this vulnerability, at that moment you're thankful for a legal system that puts evil people behind bars to protect the innocent and punishes them for their wicked ways. And when we say, how could God let people go to hell? It's because God is just. It's because he will not tolerate the wickedness of humanity forever. And it would be evil, it would be warped, it would be perverse for God to let those kind of horrific atrocities committed to innocent little seventh graders and let them go unpunished. Are you following me? The Bible says that our God is just, and he says in the end, he will bring justice to the earth. You know, in fact, we all deserve hell. Now, what do you deserve? You deserve to go to hell. Uh, why? Um, because we've all fallen short of God's perfection, of his love. We've all chosen our own ways. We've all rejected his kindness. And number two, when you choose to reject the belief of hell, you actually denounce the sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to what the scripture says in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him, by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. Those nails that went through his hands, that sword that went into his side. It was a punishment, a piercing for your and my sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now listen to this, verse 6. We say, well, I'm not bad. You know, I've never done anything. No, the Bible says in verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. 
But here's the beauty of it. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, men and women. When Jesus died that excruciating death on the cross, he was receiving the punishment that we deserved. He took the pain. He took the shame. He took the sin. And he was pierced. And he was crushed. And when we say there is no help, then we're invalidating Jesus' death for our sin. He stood in a place. He took the wrath that we deserved. And if there's no hell, and everyone's just going to heaven, then Jesus died in vain. Number three. We dilute the command of God to go into all nations and preach the gospel when we reject a belief in hell. If everyone's heading the same place anyway, then why was Jesus so emphatic about going everywhere and preaching his good news? Listen to to, to what Mark 16, 15 says. It says, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus is saying, you're going to go, and you're going to preach, and when people accept that, they will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not go to hell, but will have eternal life. But listen to the next part of this verse, verse 16. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. There comes a choice in all of our lives. You must ask yourself, have I chosen to place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice of death on the cross to pay for my sins? Oh, I cannot save myself. I can work. I can strive. I can try to be as good as I can, but I'm still a sinful, fallen person that deserves to pay for my sins. And therefore, we, as chosen ones, get to go through all the world, not saying, hey, look at me, I'm perfect, but saying, hey, I'm a sinner like you, but I'm saved by a loving God who sent his son to die for my sins. But when we say there's no hell and everyone's going the same direction anyway, then there's no reason to go and preach. We might as well just fold up shop here, just close it down and go watch football all day. But we've been entrusted the greatest message and it's a matter of life or death so here's what we know when we start talking about hell some questions arise okay question number one this is typically the first question if God is loving why doesn't he take everyone to heaven I mean if God's truly loving why wouldn't he just just open up the door for everyone to come in Here's the answer. Because true love gives a choice. And God does not usurp your will. He does not make you love him. He actually says, you choose life or death. Listen to what Joshua, who was the leader of Israel, said 
to the people. He says, verse 14, Joshua 24, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Today he would say, serve away those gods that you're worshiping of materialism and, and money and idolatry and sex and, and, and power and intellectualism. Throw those away and serve God. Verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, what? He's giving him a choice. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And then he goes on to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to understand if God just took everyone to be in heaven, he'd be totally going against many people's will because they don't like God. And heaven's not just a sweet place. If you listen to the message last week, we unpacked from the book of Revelation that heaven is all about God. It's not just a sweet little place where you do what you want. No, in the center of heaven is a throne and Jesus is ruling and reigning. And it says there's not even a sun anymore because his glory fills the new heaven and the new earth. And they will see him face to face. If you hate God now, you'd really hate him then. (laughs) So God will not force God-haters to spend eternity face-to-face with him where everything revolves around him. Do you understand? He doesn't take everyone to heaven because he gives them a choice. And if they reject his love and reject his kindness and reject him now, then he says, you don't have to spend eternity in a place that's all me. Number two, why would God create such a place as hell? I mean, why would a loving God create such a horrible place? You you have to understand what hell was created for. Hell was created for the most heinous, most wicked, most evil, most horrific being that's only been sent out to steal, kill, and destroy Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Listen to to Matthew 25, 41. It says, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Why was hell created? It was created to punish the enemy. The enemy who only wants to rape, steal, kill, pillage, send disease, plague your mind. And therefore God says, this is your punishment, Satan. And your demons who destroy life. But then when people reject the loving Father, the Bible says in John 8, 44, then those that will never turn to God, they are children of the devil. It's not just neutral ground out there. There's, there's one side of I'm with Jesus, I'm with God for what he did for me, and the other side is I'm a child of darkness. There's no just neutral growl. They're just a a sweet person. No, you're bent towards depravity or you're being renewed by Jesus. Number three, 
What about those who've never heard? What about those who've never heard? Listen to what Romans 1 says. God directly addresses this in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Okay, so how is it made plain? That's going to be the question. How does everyone have an actual plain revelation of God? Well, here's what Scripture says, because God has made it plain to them, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. Three ways that God reveals himself. Number one, through creation. Number two, through the heavens. The heavens display the glory of God. Number three, Romans chapter two. He writes the law on our hearts. The Bible says that he even writes it on the Gentiles, on the unbelievers' hearts. God is going to great lengths to reveal himself. God is even showing up in dreams and visions. I I talk to missionaries all the time in the Muslim world, people who are in a different religion, and then Jesus shows up and appears. He's going to great lengths through miracles. And then, most importantly, he's sending us, church. And Romans 10 says, how can they believe without someone preaching to them? But God is a just God. He's the most just being in the universe. And he's going to every length, shouting, I'm real, turn to me, there's hope. He longs that none would perish, is what scripture says. That all would come to a knowledge of the truth. My greatest desire today through this message is that you would gain this burden. Let me just say, if it's not obviously clear, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've at some moment in your life realized I can't save myself and you've actually asked Jesus to come into your life, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. If you've made that decision, then you have no fear of hell. You cling to, you rely upon, you trust in Jesus. He will come into your life and make you new, and he guarantees you heaven. This message should not scare you unless you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then the answer is really simple. Just make it today. (laughs) You can go home and go, whoo, that was a close one. (laughs) But the second reason I want to preach this message to you is so that you would feel a burning in your heart, that you would walk around in life realizing every person I see, there's one of two paths. There's only two paths. Either they're heading towards eternal paradise with Jesus forever in a place called heaven, or they're heading towards the flames of hell. And I want my life to be about taking them to the first place. Listen to what... This vision 
was that, that dramatically altered a man's life. His name was William Booth. And he had this experience where he saw this vivid vision. And so he made it his life's work to preach salvation. In fact, to raise up an army of people who would proclaim salvation in the highways and byways of the world. It became known as the Salvation Army. Sometimes we just think of them as some Santa Clauses dinging a bell in front of a store. That's not why it started. They started with the understanding that people are lost, broken, and headed towards a Christless eternity. Listen to this vision. Please try to pay attention. It's, it's so powerful. He said this, I saw a dark and stormy ocean, and over it black clouds hung heavily, and through them every now and then vivid lightning flashed and loud thunder rolled while the winds moaned and the waves rose and foamed, towered and broke, only to rise and foam and tower and break again. In that ocean, I saw myriads of poor human beings plunging and floating, shouting and shrieking, cursing and struggling and drowning. And as they cursed and screamed, they rose and shrieked again, and then some sank to rise no more. Can you take that picture down? I, I want us to just be able to focus on what this is saying. And I saw out of this dark and angry ocean a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the black clouds that overhung the stormy sea. And all around the base of this rock, I saw a platform. And onto this platform, I saw with delight as a number of the poor, struggling, drowning wretches continually climbed out of the, of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few of those who were already safe on the platform, they were helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach the place of safety. On looking more closely, I found a number of those who had been rescued industriously working and scheming by ladders and ropes and boats and other means more effectively to deliver the poor strugglers out of the sea. And here and there, some who actually jumped into the water, regardless of the consequences and their passion to rescue the perishing. And I hardly knew which gladdened me the most, the sight of the poor drowning people climbing onto the rocks, reaching a place of safety, or the devotion and self-sacrifice of those whose whole being was wrapped up in the effort of deliverance. And as I looked on, I saw that the occupants of the platform were quite a mixed company. That is, they were divided into different sets or classes, and they occupied themselves with different pleasures and employments. But only a few of them seemed to make their business getting people out of the sea. What puzzled me the most was the fact that although all of them had been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone just seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, it seemed the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them at all. And what seemed equally strange and perplexing to me was that these people did not even seem to have any care about the poor and perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their very eyes, many of whom were their own husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and even their own children. Many spent their time in amusing themselves with growing flowers on the side of the rock. Others in painting pieces of cloth or in playing music or in dressing themselves up in different styles and walking about to be admired. Some occupied themselves chiefly in eating and drinking. Others were taken up in arguing about the poor drowning creatures that had already been rescued. And then I saw something that seemed to me even more strange than anything that had gone on before me in this vision. 
I saw that some of the people on the platform from whom this wonderful being had called to, wanting them to come and help him in his difficult task of saving these perishing creatures, they were always praying and crying out to him to come to them. Some wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and his strength in making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of some of the letters he had written to them. Some wanted him to come and make them feel more secure. My friends in Christ, you are rescued from the waters. You are on the rock. He is in the dark sea calling on you to come to him and help him. Will you go? I tell you, when I heard this vision in the end of my college days, it rocked me. The thought of myriads of people drowning while we as Christians are just dancing around on the platform. I just pray that we'd be a church that has a broken heart for the lost. I don't preach a message on hell today to bob someone on the head. I preach it so that we could get Jesus' compassion. I remember in the end of the movie, The Lord of the Rings. A huge fan. <laughs> and, and, and there's this pit of fire. And they're wrestling over this ring, this, this evil that's totally consumed them. And, and, and Gollum jumps for the ring and falls into the fire and is burned. And Frodo's fallen over the cliff and he's hanging by one hand, dangling over this fire. And Sam Wise, oh, Sam Wise, <laughs> reaches down and says, don't you dare let go. And he grabs his hands and pulls them right out of falling into that fire. That is our mission. To look down at your husband, at your wife, at your grandma, at your grandpa, at the student who sits next to you at school, at your coworker, at work, at your children, and say, don't let go. Grab my hand. Come with me. You don't have to fall in there. We're going to a better place. Just close your eyes with me as we finish our time. And would you just ask God right now to show someone to you, just put someone in your mind, put someone in your heart, that he wants you to cry out on their behalf that they would realize their need for Jesus, that they would be saved so that they might spend eternity in heaven with you. Would you just stand with me? And I just want you, as you stand, to close your eyes and just take a moment, church. Let's just respond to this word. Would you just take a moment and just start praying. You can even pray out loud if you feel comfortable. But just start praying out loud for that person that God's putting on your heart. That you could reach out 
like Samwise and say, don't let go. Grab my hand. Come with me. Would you just start praying for them all over this room that we'd be a church that would cry out for the lost, that would cry out for the broken. Our goal would be to empty, to have hell empty and heaven full. No more. No more friends, no more loved ones headed to a Christless eternity. And if you're not 100% sure of your own eternal destination, let's just nail it down right now. Let's just do this first with every eye closed. If you say, Pastor, I'm sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. I, I just want you to raise your hand right now. And you're just standing on the, 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 the rock of the truth. And Lord, so we thank you that, that we can have confidence in you. Okay, you can put your hand down. Now, if you say today, I, I, I need to firm that decision up. I need to make sure that I'm going to heaven. I want you to just pray with me. And the Bible says that when you give Jesus your life, you will be saved. Just pray this right after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Today I surrender my life to you. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take me to heaven when I die. I'll follow you forever. And if that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out, but I do want to pray for you right now. So I just ask, if you're praying that prayer and saying, hey, I'm firming it up. I'm excited. I'm praying that prayer today. I just want you to look up at me and wave your hands to me all over this room. Awesome. Who else? Just look up at me and wave your hand to say, that's me. Awesome. 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 In the middle section, I'm looking at you. Who's Who all in the middle section? Awesome. Great. Over here, anyone I didn't see over here, just wave at me just real quick. Just tell me if that's you. I want to pray for you. Lord, thank you for these ones that are raising their hands all over this room. We thank you that they don't have to fear that dreadful place called hell, that they can look forward to heaven. And we just bless you for that today. Prayer team, come forward right now. If that's you praying that prayer today, every week we give out numerous ones of these books to ones that are committing their lives to Jesus. It's called Jesus Is, and it just helps us in our walk with him. If that's you today, just come down forward and ask for one of these Jesus Is books, and you can pray with one of our prayer team, the ones that raise their hand. There's some in here that have feared hell their whole life, and today is a day where God doesn't want you to have to fear that anymore. He wants to break that fear off of you, so we want to pray for that. Also, every service, we love to pray at the end for, for healings. We just, even this past week, had some really powerful healings take place that we're really excited about. If you have a need in your body, you can come and be prayed for. And beyond that, if you're just saying, man, today, I just need someone to agree with me, just to, to pray over me, to minister to me, to bless me, you come forward unashamedly. The altar's open for you to receive help in a time of need. We're going to sing one last song together, but you boldly just start coming now as you want prayer.